We are in a series called Memoirs, um, which is the study of the book of Philippians, or the letter to the church in, in Philippi. And this is really just thinking about what Paul would want to say to this church, one of his first churches that he planted um, in one of his first, or his very first mission to Europe. And he, he, what would he want to say to them with the imminent possibility that he is just maybe about to die? He's in a, in, in a prison and He's saying that, I don't know what's going to happen. I might die, and that's great. I'm going to be with Jesus. If I live, then you know what? It's still Jesus. So I'm hard-pressed between the two. But I want to write some things to you, some memoirs, some thoughts that's important. I want to leave with you as a people, as followers of Jesus, that, that's important to me and dear to me. And I like how he opens up the, the third chapter, which we're going to study this, this morning. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. I thought, wow, that's an incredible leadership lesson right there. That's the role of the leadership of the church, is to keep reminding the people of the same things that we need to be told every single time. That's why we often say here, maybe every week, that Jesus is the head of this church. That's why we needed to be reminded again at the conference that Christ is at the center, the, the, the human heart has the propensity to leak. It has the propensity to forget what is needed to be in the middle. And then surrounded by it is the culture and the world and the climate around us that fights against the very things that we need to hold dear. So Paul is saying, I'm going to keep saying the same thing over and over again. And it's no effort to me. And you know what? It's great for you. So in, in, in some way, what I'm going to teach you this morning is nothing new. It's maybe the same message that we preach every week. It's the gospel. It's what Jesus has done. And it is really to just love Jesus more than anything else. But you know what? It's safe for you and it's safe for me. I had to preach this message to myself over the past few weeks. And I'll, I'll share some of those stories with you today as we get through it. But if I had to look at this letter, I, I think you could simply sum this up by what he said when he said, to live is Christ. Living for me, for Paul, and I want to encourage you as a church, living is Jesus. That means your everyday life. That means your working, your relationships. When you go to bed, when you wake up, when you eat, when you drive, whatever you do, can you equal all of that to Jesus? Can you say that Jesus is in the midst of all of that? That's what it means when he says to live is Christ. Living equals Christ. It means that Jesus is my greatest affection, my greatest pursuit, and I think of him all the time, and I'm with him, and he's with me, and my life is centered around the lamb on the throne. I was just thinking about when we were in Belfast last year with the team, we, we visited the St. Patrick's Museum, where they shared the the story of St. Patrick's life, which is not just dressing in green and drinking a whole lot of beer, um, which is what the world has made it. But there's a real deep story about this man that has given his life for the sake of the gospel. And I was, I was deeply impacted by reading what they call St. Patrick's breastplate, which I think is a, a greater explanation of Paul's words to live as Christ. And I want to read it to us again this morning to put our hearts on the word to, to what God has for us. And this is St. Patrick's breastplate. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ to shield me, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, 
Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. That's got to be the cry and, and, and just the creed of our lives. Do people see Christ and living for Christ when they look at us? It's what Lindy shared so beautifully, prophetically this morning, without knowing the message. That we can have many hearts in this life, and we can write it down in the sand, but the tides of this world will come and wash them away. But when we've written Jesus, nothing can take that away. So with that in mind, let's read together Philippians chapter 3 and see how Paul encourages us in the same things to remind us of the beauty of knowing Jesus above else. I'm going to read from the ESV version. You can follow in your Bibles or on your Bible app if that's how you read. Let's read together Philippians 3 verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, well, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, as a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For this sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body, by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that it's always a mirror. It's always a pointer in the right direction. It's a lamp to our feet. And this morning I pray, Lord, that your word would also be to our hearts a double-edged sword that comes and cut away 
the things that's not of you and that we can say like Paul to live as Christ. Lord, I pray that you would anoint your word, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to every heart and that we would leave you applying this to our walk with you and we trust you for that in Jesus' name. I pray that your word would be celebrated as we look at it together in the name of Jesus Christ. And all of us say, amen. Paul is speaking to us quite strongly through this, this letter. And he addresses our focus. He speaks about his own walk and he uses his own walk and his own journey up to this point. And now he's sitting in a prison and he's given his life to Jesus and, and he, he's not sure what's going to happen. He might just die. Previously, God has taken him out of prisons, but he's not sure that that's going to happen this time again. And he says, guys, I want to talk about your focus. Where's your focus at? And he addresses five things that I think all of us do think about in our life. He speaks about our confidence. He speaks about gain. He speaks about the past. He speaks about the future. And he speaks about the body, the physical body that you are sitting in at the moment in this chair. If you think about that, that's kind of the focus of life, right? Where's your confidence? You've got to work your confidence. You've got to get to a place where you are a confident person. And then you've got to gain things. You've got to work your journey and go through all the things that you need to to gain the things in life that we see as boxes to tick. And then we've got the stuff we want and we need. And then we think about our past and who we are today, we say, is a result of our past. So we look back. And then we also look towards the future. I hope, what are we trusting God for? And we do think about our physical bodies. And here Paul's come, Paul comes and he, he addresses all these concepts in this chapter. And we're going to look at each one of them and how he's saying, guys, these things has got to have a Christ-centered focus. All of these things, which are good things and important things in your living life, has got to be centered around Jesus and not on anything Else, If we say that living is Christ, to live is Christ, or Christ is everything that people see, what does it look like to live out these things in such a way that Jesus is seen in everything? So let's talk about our confidence. He starts off by saying, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. Everyone say no. The last time I checked, the word no means no. It means nothing. The Hebrew word there is no. <laughs> nothing spectacular, nothing new, nothing to discover. And he says, put no confidence in the flesh. Zero percent, nothing, useless, put no confidence in the flesh. Context is important here. He's speaking about circumcision. This church was finding themselves amidst a culture Different to today, and we'll talk about our culture in a minute, but that culture was saying the Judas were in uproar and uprise, and they were speaking to the Gentiles and saying, you better be circumcised in order to be confident in this gospel of Jesus. Thank goodness that culture doesn't exist today anymore. <laughs> but that's what they were saying. And he said, no, your circumcision is by the cross. Your circumcision is by the Spirit. That is, we are the circumcision because of the new covenant that's come. We stand in right standing relationship with Jesus. So therefore, put no confidence in the flesh. And then he, he lists his confidences. He says, if there is anyone that could put confidence in the flesh, it's me, Paul. I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. That's quite a statement. 
born in exactly the right place, the right time, the right family, and on the eighth day, I was circumcised. The confidence that I could put in that is massive. And then I became a Pharisee with, with, with zeal and fervor. I, I knew the law and all of it. And you know what? I was blameless in the law. I lived the law like this. Didn't make a mistake. And you know what? I, in fact, persecuted the church because I was so zealous for the law. See, so if there's anyone who could put confidence in the flesh, it's me, Paul. But you know what? All of us do that, right? We do put our confidences in our fleshly things. We might think, that's great that you say that, Paul, but we live in a certain culture and context today where the world says, you know what, you've got to put your confidence in something else other than the cross of Jesus. And here's the thing, misplaced confidence misrepresents Christ. If we place our confidence in anything else but the cross of Jesus, we misrepresent Jesus Christ to the world. And some of the things I've listed here that we might put our confidence in is things like our accolades and achievements, what we've achieved, the, 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 the life that you lived to this point, or, or the studies that you've achieved, and the degrees, or the business you've built, or the incredible family that you're a part of. Some confidences that we might have is, is things like our class and our upbringing and our traditions. We, 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 we think these are the things that become things that we could be confident in the flesh in. I've listed some more. It's our attendance in church. I'm confident because I'm there most Sundays. I'm confident because I'm in life group and I serve every once in a while. Or the, the confidence in our ministry platforms. Well, I, I minister the word. I could be deeply confident in the fact that I can come to church on a Sunday morning here in every nation somewhere else and there will be some people. But if all of that had to fall away, can I find my confidence in Jesus Christ? And that's what Paul is saying. Build with your confidence in Jesus. Because there's nothing that you can do in the flesh. Nothing. So therefore put no confidence in the flesh. Everything you have in the flesh is by His grace. And there's no way that you can work your way to heaven. There's no law. Then it becomes a moralistic gospel. It's because of your efforts that you get saved. So there's nothing that you can do. Put your confidence in Jesus Christ. And for some of us, we need to shift our confidences this morning. We are so confident of, of life, of our families, our bank balances. Everything is calling place. We're confident of that deal that's going to come through. We are confident of a great secure future because we've made great secure plans. And Paul is saying, put no confidence in the flesh. Jesus is sufficient. The gospel is is the only confidence you've had. I've told Eliana before, I said, you know what, my only constant in life is God. And by that I mean that if God takes Eliana away at an earlier age than me, for example, and I've built my life around her, then my life might just collapse. But because my confidence is in Jesus, I get to enjoy my family so much more. And he's really addressing the idols of our heart here. And he's saying, guys, what are you building on and where do you sit back and you say, well, I can just confidently go through this life. He says, those are nothing in the light of knowing Jesus and what he's done for us. I heard an incredible story this week. One of the pastors from China shared the story of 
how they were at church. And the, because it's an underground church, the officials came in and they disbanded the meeting. And they told the pastor and his family, you better run for your life. Don't go back to your home. Now think about that. Imagine for a minute, police walk in here and they chase all of us out and they tell me and Liana, you can't go back to your home. This is literally what happened to this pastor and his family. All their belongings, they had to just leave, leave the house. Can't go back. There's nothing, none of your confidences you can go and get. And then they said, okay, God, well, then there's an opportunity. Can you show us which province or town or city you want us to go and plant another church in? And that's what they did. They moved on to the next appointment and they planted another church and then consequently another one. Because they put their confidence in Jesus Christ. This is a, a heart-wrenching message to us today. Because I look at, at the world around us. I look at the mountains and I look at the homes. And I look at the culture and I look at living here. And I'm like, wow, God, how confidence is in the flesh so many times. Can you help us move it back to the cross so that we can, like Paul say, I have no confidence in the flesh. Whatever I have in the flesh, I'll enjoy because it's His grace, but my confidence is in Jesus. And then he quickly moves us on from confidence to speaking about our gains, the things that we attain or get in life that we gain. He says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Everyone say everything. I count everything as loss, not just some things. Okay, God, here are my seven things that I'm willing to count as loss, but you please don't touch these two because that's really precious to me. In the light of knowing Jesus, all nine of them I count as loss because knowing you is far greater than anything I get to enjoy in this earth. Knowing you and your worth in my life is the greatest pursuit that I live for. And then he carries on, he says, For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Here's a man sitting in prison, writing this letter, and he says, I've got nothing to show in this world. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. And then he says some strong words. He says, and I count them as rubbish. That's why this is here this morning. We're going to look at some rubbish. <laughs> and not just rubbish in itself, rubbish in the light of knowing Jesus. He says, I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In other words, there are things that we could gain in this world, but there's a tension. If we uphold these things against Jesus, we're going to lose Jesus. But if we uphold Jesus and in order to gain him, we are willing to let these things go and count it as rubbish, then that's what Paul is aiming for in this message. Now, I don't know when last you checked, but rubbish is rubbish. Tuesday mornings... It's usually that morning when you wake like, oh, you need to get to school and you need to get to work, but you forgot the rubbish, right? So you have to quickly go to the kitchen and gather it all up, and it's smelly and it's stinky, and if it's summer, there's a maggot that's crawling out of the, the thing. But it, it, it's crazy, but that's what he's saying. He's saying it's that filthy and dirty in light of knowing Jesus. And then, then we take it out and we put it on the street, and, you just, and then you really feel for the people that have to come by and pick it up and pick up the rubbish of the entire well, but we put it out outside of ourselves, outside of our homes. We remove it from our dwelling place because we don't want rubbish. And here he's saying, I count all things as rubbish in the light of knowing Jesus. Wow, that's deep. And we've got to ask ourselves the question, 
about some things in our life, do we see it as gain or as garbage? And some of the things that we might see as a gain in our walk with Jesus, and I made a list, or we, we see as gain in, in this world rather, is we want acceptance. We want people to really like us. If I can get people to like me, then I've gained some things. You know what? Because of the cross of Jesus, you are accepted. Just as you are, just how he made you. You got rejected so that you will be accepted. So instead of fighting for the gain to be really liked by people, can we count that as rubbish in the light of knowing him? And can we just know him and from there be okay and accepted because he accepted us? What God has done, let not man take away from you. Or we might want success. The gain of success, of getting to the 10-year plan or the 5-year plan or the one-month plan and that thing that we've really aimed for and now we're getting there and we get a little bit puffed up or, or you know what, you get that invitation to go do this or that or that breakthrough that you've wanted and you've got the gain of success. But in the light, this is what Paul is saying of knowing Jesus, it's rubbish. Know Jesus. Make that the greatest success. Money. Nothing wrong with money, but we want to gain money, and we want more money. And if I can just get out of this or out of that or just get that deal or have that balance, then I'll be okay, and this is wrapped around our hearts, and we want the gain of money. But in the light of knowing Jesus, he says, if you follow after me in my kingdom, you will have everything you need to take your minds off money. Put your minds on me. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. The dream vacation. If I can get to that holiday destination and that two or three or four weeks or month of rest, whew, thank goodness I've made it. It's a gain. I'm working really hard to get there. And then we go and we rest and we come back tired because we haven't really rested because the real place of rest is being with Jesus. You can go on holiday and come back tired because you haven't been with Jesus. The surpassing worth of knowing Him. And the list goes on. The big house. I've gained the big house. I've worked really hard and it's worked out and I've got the house. Man, what a gain. And it's so great. In the light of knowing Jesus, can we put it in a bin? Nothing wrong with the big house. But when you compare it to Christ, it shrinks down to nothing. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. The world behind me, Christ before me. The promotion... When promotion comes from God, it's great and it's perfect and it's beautiful and it's good. But if that's the gain that you are aiming for and not simply following Jesus and he says, abide in me and everything that you need to do will come out of your abiding. But you make the promotion, the idol and the focus, then you have misplaced confidence. And he's saying, count that as rubbish or maybe happiness is what you're really going for. I'm gaining more happiness. I'm more happy this month than last month because things are working out. You know what? The Bible never teaches happiness. It teaches joy, which is different. Joy is something that is a spirit-invested fruit that God gives us, that we can't create by ourselves. Happiness is everything we try to gain so that we can get what we want and many times at the expense of what others want or need. Someone once explained happiness in a sermon like this. He said, when we want happiness, I want, to, I want something. But sometimes if, when I want something in marriage to be happy, it's at the expense of Helena. And in order for her to be happy, she wants stuff. It's often at the expense of me because my expectation of happiness is different than hers. 
And then when Elena wants something in a friendship with Lindy, she might want this and this, and then she'll be happy in her friendship with Lindy. But then Lindy experiences the deficit because what she wants out of a relationship to be happy is different. So happiness cannot be the goal because it's always at the expense of someone else that we try and be happy. But we think once we're happy, we've gained life. And in the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, happiness is nothing. Joy comes from His Spirit or security. The whole world is built on the industry of security because of our insecurity. Philip Pretoria said so beautifully once. Because we build our lives just if we can be secure in our finances, secure in our homes, secure in our education, secure in our future, secure in our everything we need, our retirement, secure in, security, security, security. You know what? The best place you can find security is in the cross of Jesus where it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. That's the goal here. That's what Paul is saying. And I can imagine the urgency in his heart to get this message across to the people back then and to us today. To live as Christ. And the greatest gain you can have are none of these things. It is Jesus. I had a very interesting moment a couple of weeks ago in the U.S. with regards to a wallet. So I'll tell you the story. We were traveling from Philadelphia to Midlands, Texas, and we had a connecting flight in Dallas. So get on a plane in Philadelphia, and then our plane was delayed. And you know how you fall into victim mentality, like oh, all the planes, this is the one that now has to get delayed. And Helena and I have our moments of like, why this? And we're tired. And so it's one of those where it's delayed, and then you get on a plane, and you sit for another two hours. And it gets really delayed. And then you realize you're going to miss your connection. So what happened is I realized we're probably not going to make our flight to Midlands. This is Saturday afternoon. Tomorrow morning we're preaching. I'm preaching. Eliana's ministering. So already you're asking the questions. Lord, why is this happening? And the devil is against me. In the meantime, the plane is just broken. And you go through all these motions. And then eventually I realize I've got to let the people in Midlands know we're missing the flight. We're missing the connection. Maybe they can rebook us on a later connection. So try to get Wi-Fi, um, and then eventually I had to pull out my wallet and pay $15 for 10 minutes of Wi-Fi. And then I'm like, 220 rand just to send a message. And I get all upset because of the money that I need to spend. And I spend the money, I take out my wallet and put it down. And eventually I let them know, and the plane takes off, and I spend some time with Jesus. And he just helps me calm down, and I had music in my ears, and I had the Bible open, and I just abide it. I said, Jesus, whew, my heart really got the better of me today, but I just want to go back to that place of the surpassing worth of knowing you. And then I honestly had two incredible hours in the presence of God. Helena listened to all her conference songs, so she was busy on her, on her seat, but I just closed my eyes and I, I worshipped for two hours. It was incredible. I felt centered again. I felt good. I found, felt ready, and I felt the Lord speak to me about the ministry the next day. Story continues, we arrive in Dallas, we have to run to our gate to get the connection, because if we miss this one, we will not get in Midlands on that day. We run to the gate, the gates open, the people start boarding, and I'm like, where's my wallet? And then for a moment, I wanted to say that someone stole it, but then I realized I was in the United States of America, so that's probably not what happened. <laughs> it was just me being stupid, or maybe Jesus took it. Because what happened in that moment when you realize you lost your wallet, man, you fall into such a victim mentality right there. 
And my heart goes even blacker to what it was before when I was on a delayed flight. And I'm like, my wallet. It's got my, my credit card in it and I need it for the rest of the trip. And then I think, my driver's license is in there. Now I've got to go stand in a queue back home to get a new driver's license. And then there's $35 in there. And in my world, it was a million rand because the exchange rate is so bad. And then I realized, but it's my favorite wallet. It's a gift that someone gave me. It's handmade leather. And then I sit on that flight, and then we had a bit of a moment. And we're asking questions like, yeah, this is the devil, and he's up against us. And we're going to go minister, so everything is getting in our way now. And why would God allow this? And as this second plane takes off, for a moment, <laughs> I had a humorous thought. I thought about how small my wallet is, a speck of dust, as we got lifted up the ground, and I start seeing how vast the earth is in the light of a wallet. And I felt the Lord ask me a question. Pierre, are you going to allow your heart to be owned by a wallet? And then I went like this. Rubbish in the surpassing worth of knowing you, Jesus. And in that moment, I felt restored back to him. And I turned to him and I said, sorry for all my exclamations and my drama which was very real in that moment but the question is what's wrapped around your heart that if Jesus had to pickpocket it away did you fall into that trap the greatest gain is the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus then he speaks about the past he says, one thing I do is forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. This is one of my prayers I've prayed so many times. Lord, let me just forget and get rid of the past so that I can run to the future, the upward call of knowing you. And if there's someone who really had to do it, this was the Apostle Paul because he's done some really bad stuff. In the same breath as he was perfect in the law, he was terrible in Christianity because he killed Christians. He commanded the killings of Christians. He persecuted the church. So he really need, needed to get to that place where like, God, can you take away my past? And you know what? I, I choose to forget it. This is the key. Yes, God comes and he takes our past away. But do we choose to forget it to run forward in the upward call? Or do we still linger back? And hold back. You see, the world says that we are the sum total of our past. It says, peer equals everything of the past. That's the algebra of the world. But the algebra of the gospel is that peer plus Jesus equals a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. But somehow, peer still thinks the algebra is peer plus the past equals peer. And this is where we've got to start forgetting and start running. That's what he says. One thing I've learned is to, that's done and dealt with. I'm going to run forward towards Jesus. Don't let your past accolades or aches slow, slow down your pace. And he had both. He had the accolades of being perfect under the law. He had the accolades of the confidence of the flesh. And he could stand in, in any situation, say, I'm the best when it comes to living according to the law and doing things right. So he had self-righteousness. But then on the other side, he killed Christians. And I can imagine that he often had to work at his heart because he felt 
condemned and he probably lived in self-condemnation. See, self-righteousness, self-condemnation, the things that all of us have in our past that tries and hold us back. Did you know that the greatest person to forgive is yourself? See, the world of Christians or followers of Jesus, it's expected of us to forgive one another. If you don't, then you've got to re-go and revisit those things of forgiveness. But it's really hard to forgive yourself, right? Especially if you've messed up really badly. We look at ourselves in the mirror and like, how did you do that? And you feel that guilt and that condemnation. And I can imagine for Paul, he often wanted to go to that place of, I killed John from Bethlehem. I killed Corvus from Bloemfontein. Whatever it is, I can imagine that but he had to get rid of the self-condemnation because of the cross of Jesus. And he had to get rid of the self-righteousness. I've done everything good. I'm on a good trajectory. I'm walking with Jesus. I'm perfect. I'm doing everything straight. Jesus loves me. And if there's something like a favorite Christian, well, that is me. He says, forget those things. Forget where you've come from and run forward to the future. Untie yourself of the pity. Untie yourself of the pride Make loose all the pains of the past and run because the gospel and the cross has paid a finished price for your sake. And so many of us still hold back here. We still live in the past. The call is to untie and run forward. I have been crucified with Christ. Can you say that this morning? I have been crucified with Christ. The sum total of my past is nailed to the cross. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He gave himself so that your past can give way. And for us, some of us this morning, that's, that's the tension in this message. You just can't get over some stuff that's happened. And the encouragement this morning is there's a cross. And the cross will help you get over the past. Can you accept the fullness of that this morning? Because the next thing that he speaks about is our future. He says, yes, there's a past that you get rid of, but there's a future. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you know what? Don't put your confidence in yourself. Don't gain the stuff of the world. Don't hold back and linger in the past. You are a citizen of heaven. And when your life here ends, and I can imagine him thinking about his own life, the soldiers might just march in every moment and say, Paul, your time has come. We're going to kill you. And he was so secure about his future, which isn't the future 10 years down the line. It's the future into eternity, being a citizen of heaven. You see, Paul understood something about being positioned in Christ, seated in heavenly places. Paul didn't consider himself in prison. He considered himself in Christ, seated in heavenly places, in prison. And for so many of us, we forget the future that Jesus paid for for us, which is citizenship in heaven for eternity. Where everything that we try and accumulate and the rubbish we put into our life will truly not mean nothing because we have in the fullness the surpassing worth of Jesus in heaven one day. We have a future, future of that, that was jet lag, future. We have a future 
a citizenship in heaven that nothing can take away. I was thinking about the words of Jesus. He says, do not accumulate for yourself treasures in earth, rubbish, where moth and rust will destroy it and thieves will break in and steal it. Whoa, Jesus said that thieves will break. Yeah, yeah, but we want the faith that says no thieves, no moth, no rust. Now, yes, there is a protection that we have as Christians, but Jesus also said that you will suffer. So he's saying, so rather than building around the gains of this world, just focus on me and build on me and put your treasures in heaven because you are a citizen of heaven. Do you live as a citizen of heaven in this earth or do you live as a citizen of South Africa? You could ask that question because if you live like a citizen of heaven, the way you think about stuff and the gains and what you're after will look completely different. And I, when I was preparing, I felt the Lord put this in my heart to speak to us this morning as South African citizens. And I want to say this, South African followers of Jesus, our future is secure. There's a sense in the air of fear and intimidation. It feels like maybe 20, 25 years ago where people fled the nation. I don't know about you, but I, I know so many people that's just looking for an open door to get out of the country because of fear and intimidation. I'm not talking about legit reasons to go to other nations. People just saying, we've got to get out. This nation is, when you're a follower of Jesus, you've got a citizenship in heaven. Then the nation and the country you live in is not that important. It's important for the sake of call and where he wants you. But so many of us, the South Africans, are in that tension again. Where we feel insecure about our future. Don't. When you follow Jesus, you have the securest future you can ever think about. Regardless of what happens. The only security Paul had was that he was going to die. They didn't know when, but he was going to die. But he had a greater security beyond this world. He had the security of knowing, I'm going to be a citizen of heaven. So maybe for you this morning, the gain that you want is a better country. In the light of knowing Jesus and his surpassing worth, you're a citizen of heaven. Your future is secure. Don't let your heart get wrapped up in the insecurity and intimidation that's around us today. Can we rise up again and be people of faith that live from our position of being seated in heavenly places as South Africans? Can I get an amen to that before I fall asleep? And then the last thing. Man, this is so good. He speaks about our body, our physical bodies. And listen to this promise. He will transform our lowly body. So even if you look yourself best and you've lost the weight and you've trained and you've posted the selfies of you in the gym with that muscle pumping and you can take off your shirt on the beach with confidence when it's summer again because you worked throughout winter and you got rid of the winter fat, even that is considered in Jesus' eyes as a lowly body. Yo, but we spend so much time on it, right? Heesh, it's wrapped around our hearts. It says, he will come and transform our lowly bodies, thank you Jesus, to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. He's saying this meat box that you are living in. Don't focus on that so much. Paul had some bad moments in his meat box. He was beaten up many times. 
He was once beaten up and thrown out of the city, considered to be dead. But he wasn't. He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by snakes. There was a whole lot that happened to this man. And he got to a place where he was like, this body is low, and it's a lowly, seasonal. I'm not saying misuse your body, because it's the temple of the Holy Spirit, the word says. But one day when Jesus comes, I'm not going to make so much about it. Then he speaks about people that worship their bodies. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. What do enemies of the cross look like? Well, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They are feeding the appetites of this world. Their stomachs rule them. Their insides, their bellies are crying out for things in this world, and they glory in their shame. They boast in all the shameful and ungodly things they do with their bodies, and their minds are set on earthly things. You know what he is saying? Saying, even when you think about your life here, don't worry, I won't fall. Even your body, in the light of what Jesus has done, and the future you have, and the past is redeemed, and the gain of knowing Him, and the confidence we have in Him, even your physical body, people can come and they can kill you because your body is not going to get in the way. There's a greater body that He has for you, so put it in a bin. It's considered garbage in the light of knowing Jesus. I sometimes marvel at the amount of money people spent to pick up weight and the amount of money they then spend to lose it. It's true. It's the culture of our world. Can we get to a place where even our self-worship becomes nothing and our, our personal goals doesn't consume us as much? Let me get out without falling. There we go. Sorry about that. But you hear what, what Paul is saying. He's saying, guys, there's only one confidence. It's not in your flesh. It's not in your own efforts. It's in the cross. There's only one true gain. It's seeing the worth of Jesus. There's a past, but you're not defined by it. Untie yourself of it, because I've done it already, but you're still untied in here. So can you forget it and start running for it to the upward call that I have for you? And then you are a citizen of heaven. Live like it. Live with that confidence of knowing that one day you are going to be with Jesus. And even if this body is sick in this earth, it's not going to be sick with Him. Even if this body is broken in this world and it's low, it's not going to be sick with Him. So don't focus so much on your bodies. Because the guards can walk in here any moment and kill my body, but they cannot take away my citizenship in heaven. That's the message of Philippians 3. And I believe the Lord spoke to many hearts this morning. Maybe there were some of the gains that I hold up that's cut through your heart. While we were praying a pre-service prayer, the Lord showed me a prophetic picture. He showed me a heart and there was some cancer growth on this heart. And I don't know if you know this, but medically, every human body has the ability to produce cancer within itself. However you eat and your lifestyle can either fuel it or keep you away from it. And I thought about that. Every human heart has the ability for cancerous growth to come and wrap itself around us. But we choose whether we feel it 
or whether we cut away from it and have our hearts clean and pure and blameless before him. And you know what I love most about Philippians 3? And I want you to get this. Paul then says in this message, he says, Paul, myself, I've not even attained it yet. I've not received that maturity yet. But I do choose to keep running to it. Isn't that liberating? The message this morning is not, come on, get mature. He says, those who are mature think like this. So I'm not, I'm not hoping that any of you are leaving it thing. I'm missing the mark because you know what we all are and we always will miss the mark. Even Paul said, I've not made it. I'm not there yet. But one thing I do, man, I strain forward. I strain forward. I strain forward. And that's my only request this morning. Can we be a church that says, God, we're going to keep straining forward until we are completely untied by all this thing that the world has to offer us. And I'm going to pray for us as a church today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that your word is so clear, it's so practical. Lord, I pray that in this moment you would come with your double-edged sword of spirit and truth and come cut away any cancer growths that's made room in our hearts, any gains, confidences, past failures, past victories, even the way we look at our bodies, even the way we think about our futures and how we want to create security. I know, Lord, the, the growths are different for each one of us. The things that we feel in our life looks different across this room. But you, Holy Spirit, know each one of us intimately. And I pray, Lord, as I pray now, that you would come and be the gentle physician of our souls and come and cut away. I pray, Lord, that we would stand in a position of surrender where we put our hands up and say, Jesus, come and cut. Thank you, Lord, that our security is in the fact that we are citizens of heaven. Thank you, Lord, that our confidence is in what you have done, never in what we can do. Thank you, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that feel like they'll never surmount to everything that you want for us, that this is a message of good news again. That in our human ability, it is completely impossible, but because of the cross and the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is so possible. I pray, Lord, that this message would be real to all of us throughout this week, that this message would be real to us today. Lord, I pray if any one of us are still thinking about our past, Lord, that we would, that we would not, that we would run forward because you have completely removed us from where we've been and you've created in us a new creation. I pray, Lord, that people would see in their, their mind's eye their name plus Jesus equals a new creation. That the old is gone and the new has come. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a church so confident of what you called us to, Lord, that the world will look at us and say, we see people who live Christ in every day. Thank you, Lord, and Holy Spirit, that you will continue to work, that your word is like seed planted in fertile soil, and it will produce a fruit. Lord, and some of our fruit might be today, some of our fruit might be months from now or in the next season, but I pray, Lord, for good fruit out of your word that was spoken here this morning, and we trust you for that. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.